0: All right, we are in Colossians, uh, and uh, as we study Colossians, uh, we, we see uh, Paul speaking and giving us rules for practical Christian living. How should we live, especially as men? How does, how does God want us to live? And last week, uh, we, we focused on Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 17, and in that section, uh, Paul focused on the issue of relationships. How do we handle relationships? How do we re- relate to one another? And one of the overwhelming things that Paul said to us uh, in that passage is how important humility is and patience and long-suffering nature uh, as we, we approach our relationships with other people. And the overwhelming aspect of forgiveness, forgiveness, not to sit there and harbor ill will, but rather to be able to forgive people who have hurt you. Uh, and you know that's where, where uh, uh, Jesus spoke to Peter, and Peter said, how many times should I forgive? Uh, seven. Uh, and Jesus said, 70 times seven, meaning forever. There is no, no finite period of forgiveness. It goes on forever and ever. And I would say that that's probably one of the greatest needs uh, for Christian men. It's hard for men to forgive. Because when we've been hurt, when we've been hurt, it's hard for us to get over the hurt. And so, what I would say to you today is as Paul said to us, you need to get over the hurt. You need to understand that Jesus forgave you, that whatever you did before, and if you focus on the nature of your own sin life and how God forgave it, removed it as far as the East is from the West, that if you focus on what He did for you, you could never, ever have that kind of unforgiving spirit towards other people. And we spoke about love, how important love is, Uh, the kind of love that Christ had for us. Not the kind of love that says, I only love you if you love me back, this kind of reciprocal relationship, but a deeper kind of love, the kind of love that says, I care for you, I want the best for you, I'm not jealous of you, I'm not envious of you, but I want God to give you the greatest amount of blessings that can possibly be be born into your life. What a wonderful way to to live your life. And then, as you live this kind of life, Paul speaks about the peace of God. The peace of God. Meaning that God pours his peace into your heart. And so it's not only that you have peace with God, because you're no longer in uh, an ongoing revolt against God, but now... You are part of the family of God. And as the family of God, He has given you the peace of God in your heart. Meaning that no matter what you go through, no matter what the difficulties are, you have this uh, abiding presence and knowledge that God is with you. He walks with you. He holds you in His hand. That's why I can say to a brother who's going in for, for cancer therapy or surgery, God is with you. He'll be with you. He'll be there in the room. He'll be in the operating theater. He'll be there later. As you're going through treatment, he'll walk with you every step of the way. He will never abandon you. These are the kind of things that, that it's important for us to, to understand. This is what it means to be a man in Christ. This is what God wants you to be, a man in Christ. And as you are a man in Christ, these blessings that come from your life will permeate out. It will permeate to your wife and to your children and to your, your friends. Uh, and God will bless and re-bless, and the blessings will come over and over and over again. And so that's why why we study this, that's why God anointed Paul and has spoken through Paul, and how as we study what he said 2,000 years ago, it's as relevant today as it was then. And so today, we're going to focus on verses 18 to 25 in Colossians chapter 3, this is one of the more misunderstood sections in Scripture. Uh, if you mention from the pulpit that you're now going to speak about the rules of submission of Christian wives in church, most of the women in church will go, "Oh, I'm sick of this stuff!" All right? Because for years, for years, the people that have preached on this really didn't get it. I'm sorry to say. All right, they didn't get it. Uh, It's been used as a weapon, really, uh, against women, uh, and and it's been used to try to keep women down. Uh, And when you really drill down, this message is for you. Women wind up being the beneficiary of what we're talking about, but this message is for us. God is speaking to us. How do we live as husbands? How do we treat our our wives? What are the constraints, what are the paradigms that God speaks to us about? And so this really becomes uh, an appropriate way to end our season as we focus on being a godly man. You can't be a godly man unless you're a godly husband. You can't be a godly man unless you're a godly father. And so he speaks to you here about how we need to act and how how we need to conduct ourselves. So open your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And by the way, please underline that last section, as is fitting in the Lord. And that becomes the key aspect of this. That's because as we study scripture, as I've told you right from the beginning, we never take a single verse out of context. We take the verse, we take it apart, and we look to see who he was speaking to, how the people that heard him speak understood it, And what is the true definition of what the verse is saying? So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his work wrong, and there is no favoritism. Wow. Remember that you are serving the Lord in everything that you are doing. So that means that in your marriage, as you're married to your wife, you're really married to the Lord. You're really married to Jesus Christ. All right? I gave you the example last week, and I'll give it again, of the triangle in a marriage and in that triangle, the husband and the wife are at the bottom part of the triangle. And as I say say in many marriage ceremonies, uh, in, a, in a godly marriage, the, the job is for each of us to draw closer to Christ. And Christ is at the top of the triangle. And as you draw closer to Christ, as you get closer to Jesus and love Jesus every day of your life, you slide up the sides of the triangle and inevitably you get closer to your wife. And I could say that I've seen this in my own marriage, uh, now coming into closing in pretty soon on 50 years of marriage, that as I've devoted myself to God and tried to serve God uh, in every way, and my wife also, I can say that I have a deeper love for my wife than I ever had even when we were younger. A more profound respect for her. A more understanding that God gave me this gift. God gave you that gift. He gave you that person who is committed to loving him. And so now understanding that that is the very gift of God in your life. That now you have to understand, what does it mean, Lord? How do I serve you? How do I treat this woman? And so it's it's so important. And So look, don't go sitting there and, and you go back to, to home today and your wife said, well, what, how was Bible study? you Oh, it was great. All I heard about is the fact that you need to submit to me. You need to see, this house is dirty. I want this house to look a lot better. And by the way, my car needs to be washed. You know, and, and I grew up with people like this, I'm sorry to say. Saw, I've seen this in churches where some people take these verses uh, and that's what they call submission. Are you kidding me? You think this is what this section of scripture is about? You have really missed the boat. This is about you submitting to God, about men submitting to God, understanding that we serve God in everything that we do, and as we bow before the throne of God, fully loving God, submitting to God in every way, that our wives see this paradigm. And as they see this paradigm and what you're doing, knowing that you're the head of the household, the wife then wants to serve Jesus as well. And as she serves Jesus as well, it becomes effectively submission within the realm of the marriage. You understand? That's how this works. All right. This isn't about you being Mussolini. All right. Honestly, seriously. And I, I mean, I, I, this is so misunderstood. This is why when they open this section up in church and they start uh, preaching it, half of the church really wants to walk out. They're sick and tired of hearing this stuff about submission. Listen, submission means the love of God. Submission means that you're sold out to Jesus Christ. I've submitted myself in every way to Christ Jesus. And as I submit myself to Christ Jesus, every relationship in my life flows from that. Amen? I mean, really, this needs to be understood and drilled down. Uh, And we're going to spend the the better part of today understanding this. Look, God created men and women as equal. You got that? We're equal. Nobody has a leg up on anybody else. Uh, We are fully equal. Equal And by the way, turn to Galatians chapter 3 if you have any doubts about that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Verse 26 we'll start with. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no separation. God does not have spiritual favorites. Okay? And so as we understand this this section of Scripture, we need to understand that. And as we understand this, the key to understanding this is love. Love is is the key. We love Jesus. We want to serve Jesus. We recognize everything that he has done for us as he saved us and died on the cross. I love him so much that I I am submitting my life to him. I bow before his throne and I fully submit. And that means that every relationship that I have from that point forward is defined by that love of Christ and that submission of myself to Christ. Because here's the thing, if I truly love Christ the way I said, then I couldn't possibly treat another human being differently. Knowing that Jesus died on the cross for me, forgave me my sins, I couldn't in some way be mean-spirited to you or unforgiving to you because I know what he did for me. And so I bow before his throne. I bow before his throne. And this becomes the key to understanding this, this, series, uh, this, this passage uh, in Colossians. And so we use the description of Christ in this regard. Because of his all-encompassing love towards us, we submit to him. We know that Jesus died for us while you were still a sinner. There it is. All right? He didn't die for you because you became a Christian. He died for you because you were there in open revolt against God. He died for you, knowing that at some point in time you would come to faith. And then he gives you the faith in order to accept Him. I mean, this is an amazing story about how deep God is. I mean, think about this. He actually pours the faith into you as you recognize, I'm lost, Father. I'm lost. I need help. And then He pours the faith into you to allow you with that faith to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Really? And now you're unforgiving? And now you're you're mean-spirited? Uh, and you're the dictator in your house, who are you? Get on your knees, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. And what I say really means this. It means that for us, many of us have been taught wrongly. All right? A lot of people look at this this section of Scripture and, and have reckoned it to meaning that the husband is the Lord of the manor. No, you're not the Lord of the manor. Jesus is the Lord of the manor. All right? Jesus is the Lord of the manor. And if Jesus is the Lord of the manor, then you're the underservant of Jesus Christ. And as the underservant of Jesus Christ, as the underservant of Jesus Christ, you treat treat the other people in that relationship with the utmost respect uh, and love. And so in this section of Scripture, Paul writes about wives submitting, quote, as is fitting in the Lord. That's the key phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. This is a crucial phrase, This colors the entire section of Scripture. It it colors everything we understand about this passage. What does it mean to submit as is fitting to the Lord? It means that the husband is fitting to the Lord. If the husband is not acting in a godly way, it is he's not acting in the way that Jesus would act. Uh, If he's not acting within the will of God, then submission by the wife is neither proper nor biblical. And I get an amen. You understand how this works? It's on the one side, you have the husband acting in the way of God. And as the husband acts within the way of God, living the paradigm of a godly life, then on the other side, the wife submits because she also is acting within the will of God. There's no dictator in the relationship. Everyone bows to Jesus, who is effectively the Lord of the manor. And that's how, then that's how these godly relationships grow. Uh, and so, uh, as, as is fitting in the Lord, does not define the extent of a wife's submission to her husband. Rather, it defines the motives of a wife's submission. That's why uh, he speaks about the fact of submitting. Just as you are submitting to her, she's submitting to you because she loves Jesus Christ. She's fully sold out to Christ. She recognizes that he's the Lord of the manor and that if she looks at you and sees a godly man, yes, she wants to partner with you and to have that kind of successful relationship. Uh, and this becomes an understanding of true submission to the Lord. That's what this is about. It's not about the wife submitting to you or you taking lordship over the wife. It's about the both of you together submitting to the will of God, bowing to the will of God, serving God, Uh, In the most poignant way. And so the godly woman submits to her husband or godly husband because it is fitting to the Lord to do so. Just as the husband is responsible uh, to her, as Jesus loves her, she submits to him because in this loving relationship, she recognizes this is how the Lord wants her to live. This has nothing to do with the husband's intelligence, giftedness, or capability. Okay, the fact that you're intelligent, that you're gifted, that God has has given you a, a great number of talents, that you're a powerful person, that you're an affluent person in the world—none of that means squat. All right, none of it. All right, but rather because God, you bow to the submission of God because you recognize what God has done for you, and walking in that humble light. This isn't about arrogance. I said to you many times, there's not a single case in the Bible where I can find God using an arrogant man. You want to be a godly man? Get the word arrogance out of your vocabulary. There's no such thing as arrogance or prideful. Rather, it's this ongoing submission of walking with God in humility and recognizing what God has has done to you. It has everything to do with honoring the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life. But this this status must be preceded by a husband loving completely just as Jesus loves us. Um, And we talked about that last week, and I want to reiterate again that aspect of love because it's appropriate here. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Understanding what this kind of love is about. This truly is agape love. That is the kind of love that is not human love. This is not chemistry. We're not talking about you you falling in love with somebody because there's been a chemical reaction. That's also called lust, okay? That's not about that. It's not instantaneous love. This is about a profound, deep love that cares so much about the person that you're with that you will sacrifice even yourself in every way for that person. This is the deepest, most profound love This is what Jesus did on the cross. And so drill down to understand it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. And I stop at that and I ask you, are you a patient, kind person? And I'm sorry to say that most likely a third of you would have to say, if you're very honest, I'm not very patient. Hey, that's my problem. Okay? I'm a type A guy. All right? I've been a type A guy my whole life. When I came down here to Naples about 25 years ago, and I went to Publix the first time and stood at the, at the cash register checking in, I thought I was gonna flip, flip the food out. I couldn't believe it. These people are actually engaging in a conversation as they ring the food up. Oh, it's a How are you? Are you having a nice day? Some milk, yes. Here's a piece of, anyway, what are you doing today? What's the weather? What are you doing? Just check me out. Just check me out. I'm from New Jersey. We don't do this. You guys understand this? All right? I know you guys are Midwesterners. You're a lot kinder than we are from the Northeast. But, I mean, this is an ongoing character flaw that I have. I'm not patient. And I've asked God to help me with this. Help me, Lord. Help me to be more patient. And he has. As I've poured that into my life, he has. And along with that, being kind kind. Are you kind? Are you kind? Are you really kind? Uh, when something goes wrong, some, something happens, are you kind in your response? Uh, this, you don't have to ask, answer me. This is between you and God. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And I told you that, that that's the example of, of agape love, uh, true self-sacrifice. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. How about that? It, does not e- it is not easily angered. And, and the thing is that for many of us, many of us, uh, we have anger issues. You know that. Something happens, it's, whether it's in traffic or somebody says something to you, and immediately you blow up. You blow up because you're just you're a, you're a sizzling cauldron. Why? You're in Naples. Snap out of it. All right, snap out of it. But you know, the thing is, is that almost it doesn't matter where you are, where you are, because that, that, these are the characteristics that we carry with us. As our flesh, well, God, this is where as we submit to the Lord Jesus, he takes control of your life, he pours the Holy Spirit into your life, and he renews you and remakes you. And so as we walk with him for a lifetime, and this doesn't happen right away, as we walk with him in a lifetime, he changes us. He remakes us, and and this is where we want to be. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Can you imagine the kind of relationship you would have with your wife if she and you treated each other with that kind of love? Oh, my Lord, Jesus, help us to see this. Uh, I mean, really, there wouldn't be any divorces in, a, in the United States or the world if this is how we lived. If you truly loved each other with this kind of uh, love uh, and, and, and self-sacrifice, verse eight: Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease; where there are tongues, they will be stilled; where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And there, there's the point of understanding that too: that love trumps everything. Love trumps everything. And so, as we study this passage in Colossians, we see this. Um, And and so, now, let me show you the exceptions. There are exceptions. Uh, And Paul talks about it. As As in the case of every human relationship, the command to submit is not absolute. Because if you're married to someone who is an awful person, not a godly person, who is living outside of the will of God, the Lord doesn't want you to submit to that kind of a person. This is understood. And he's speaking here about this. For example, what does this mean? Paul says the wife is not to submit when? The husband asks the wife to sin. How about that? And so if you're if you're in this relationship and you ask your wife to do something that's outside of the will of God, she shouldn't listen to you. She shouldn't listen to you. What do I mean by that? How's this? I don't want you to go to church anymore. I don't like that guy. I think it's a mistake to go to church. I want you to stay home. Let's have a big breakfast. Let's go out for pancakes. Uh, We'll do anything, but I don't want you to go to church. And a godly wife should say, you make your own breakfast. I'm going to church. I'm going to church. Uh, Because that's a sin to block somebody's uh, ability to worship God the way they want to worship God. All right, That's a very simple example of that. Or the husband is incapacitated in some way. Well, incapacitated in what way? Well, drugs, incapacitated by drugs, incapacitated by alcohol. If you're married to somebody that has sold out and is incapacitated because of these various addictions, God doesn't expect you to submit in a relationship to that. God doesn't want you to do that. Or the husband is violent and physically threatening. How about that? And we know that there are people like that, violent and physically threatening. God doesn't say that you, you submit to a violent, physically threatening man who's beating you. That's not the will of God. You How do you get that from what we're reading? You could see this uh, as how the husband has to basically submit first in love to Jesus Christ. Or finally, the husband breaks the marriage bond by adultery. All right. If the husband is violating the will of God, committing adultery, The wife, again, does not have to submit in that kind of relationship. So you understand that this is not an absolute theorem, but that God is looking at the fact that on this one side here is is a man sold out to God, loving God, submitting to God in in every way. And over here is this woman loving God and submitting to God. But as she submits to God, she sees her relationship with this man. She also submits to this man because she knows that he's a godly man following the will of God, who loves her in the way that we've talked about, fully with an agape kind of love, uh, as is fitting to the Lord. And so the, the Greek word used here, defining the love of the husband, uh, is the word, the Greek word agape. And agape does not denote, and this is important for you to understand this, does not denote affect, affection or romantic attachment. That's not agape. All right, Agape is not what you see in the movies. right. It's not that. Uh, Rather, it defines a kind of love that is a deep, caring, deliberate attitude of mind that concerns itself with the well-being of the one loved. Meaning what? I love you, my dear wife. I'm concerned about your well-being. I will do anything in my power to make certain that you are cared for. Whatever you need, I want to give you your needs. I want to lift you up. Not only do I want to lift you up physically, but I want to lift you up emotionally. I want to be there for you. I want to support you in every possible way. And this is sacrificial giving uh, that involves the absorption of love. Can you imagine? The most sacrificial way to love somebody. That you sacrifice yourself. That you would give up your own life if you had to because you care that deeply about the well-being of of someone else. It has little to do with emotion and everything to do with self-denying for the sake of another. It's exactly what Jesus did for you on the cross. You understand? And that's the point of understanding this. As we understand what Christ did for us on the cross, we have a deeper understanding of the nature of love. Uh, And so this is a love, This is a love that loves without changing. What does that mean? It means when you love your wife like that, and she loves you like that, that love stays exactly the same way when you're 30 as when you're 90. In fact, in some ways, it's even more profound. Because as you've walked together, and you've lived your life together, and you've worshipped Jesus together, and you submit it to him. And you see that kind of growth in your spouse. You, you understand it's the gift of Jesus Christ. He gave you this woman. He gave you this relationship. And so as you understand this and you see the growth in her life and you bow before the throne and say, Thank you, Father, for what you've given me. Help me, Father, to be a better man. That's the prayer. Help me to be a better man. I want to be a better man, Lord. I want to have the kind of characteristics you want me to have. Uh, and I want to love in this way, this most deep, pure, sacrificial, self-denying kind of way. And so when we read this passage and we understand it fully, uh, Paul is not saying, husbands, be kind to your wife. He's not saying, husbands, be kind to your wife. And there is no doubt that for many in marriages, this would be a huge improvement. Just put kindness in it. But this is not about kindness. Uh, This is much deeper. Uh, What what he's saying here is that husbands must continually pursue self-denial for the sake of your wife. Self-denial. It's not about you first. Don't always think about what you want first, what your needs first are. Instead, think about what her needs are. That's what Jesus does for you. He denied himself on the cross. And so when you see that paradigm, you understand the beginning of what, what this really is in terms of agape love. It is the kind of love that Jesus had for his people and that husbands should imitate for their wives. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. This would be a great marriage sermon, huh? We'll start with verse 22. It's kind of a rest, repetition of what we've been saying here. We'll start with, with 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's the overarching phrase. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. How about that? Love your wife the same way you love your own body. Ooh. Oh, God. These are hard verses. These are hard verses. Love your wife the same way you love yourself. That's how to have a successful marriage. That's how to have the kind of relationship where where you grow together in submission. Serving the Lord, growing with the Lord, uh, having the Lord bless everything. And what happens next? Then the children of that relationship are always blessed. Because the children grow up in an environment where they see that kind of self-sacrificing love. They see the example. This is what it means to be married to each other, to love each other in this way. And so now what does it mean? Those kids now have a blueprint for their lives. Instead, so many of us have lived decrepit relationships in which we've we've given terrible advice to our children and we see how uh, one divorce He gets another divorce, begins another divorce. And the answer to ending it is simply submit to Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the answer. You don't have to go to a fancy marriage conference. You don't have to get involved in marriage therapy. I'm giving you the essence of it right here. Submit yourselves to Jesus Christ, understanding this in every way. And so in finishing this section about marriage, Paul also warns the husband regarding the treatment of the wife and not to be bitter towards them. The implication here is is that perhaps the husband might have some reason to be bitter. But Paul is warning you and saying, never be bitter. Don't ever be bitter uh, in your relationship. You are never justified, never justified towards bitterness. Agape love loves even when there are obvious and glaring deficiencies, even when the receiver is unworthy of the love. Did you hear what I just said? Agape love is so deep and so profound that even if the recipient of that love is not deserving, it doesn't matter. And so you don't sit there with a scorecard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she did this and she did that and she did this. No agape love for you today. No agape love for you today. No way. Can you imagine if Jesus did that to you? Oh, man. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. That's the nature of agape love. It loves even when the receiver doesn't deserve to be loved, as you didn't deserve to be loved. And so that that, that becomes important. Uh, And so here also in verses 20 to 21, Paul speaks about the new man, you are the new man, uh, relationship between parent and child. He instructs the children to obey their parents in all things. Now this effectively is construed to be a child that lives in the home of the parent. When the kids live under your rooftop, your children are to obey you in everything. You treat them right. You treat them with respect. You don't frustrate them. Uh, You lift them up just the way you lift up your wife. And when you do that, your children are to obey you. When they're out of your house, that that construction is different. Uh, They're out of the house, they're on their own. But while they're in the house, they they need to do that. And then Paul talks about not provoking their children. Not provoking your children. All right? How many of us have provoked our children in some way? Okay? Okay? And you have to ask God, Lord, forgive me, Father. I know I don't want to be that kind of person. Forgive me if I've done that. And if you've done that to your children, and in some ways, if you've muddied up that relationship, you need to go and make it right. Go to your son or your daughter and ask for forgiveness. Go and do that. That's what God wants. Um, because we have to understand that in this relationship, right from the beginning of the Mosaic Code, uh, we understand that God, Children must honor their mother and father. And I hope you honored your mother and father. Because the Bible says that as you honor your mother and father, uh, long age will be given to you by God. So as I look out in this group, I got a pretty good idea that you guys basically loved your mother and father. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, But again, understanding again this issue of submission. God, as, as you really understand how God wants us to grow, everything everything begins. Every relationship, whether it's the husband or the wife, or the children, or or the extended family, or the friendships, or the relationships in church, everything begins with submission towards Jesus Christ. Lord, I love you, Father. Please help me. I want to be a godly man. Lord, I understand what you did for me on the cross. Lord. Help me to change my characteristics. Help me to love. Help me to understand what agape love is all about. And he pours that into you through the Holy Spirit. He pours it into you through the Holy Spirit. And then in that relationship, as you see your wife, this woman who God has given you, this gift from God, all right? You understand that this is a gift from God. And now you submit really to God for her. And she sees that. She sees what you're doing. You're bowing before the Lord and His throne. She sees the changes in your life. No longer are you unkind, angry, uh, arrogant. But instead, she sees a man who is interested in self-denial. A man who is interested in sacrifice. A man who is interested in her welfare. And she can't wait to give back that same agape love because she sees what Christ has done. He has taken over the house. He is the Lord of the manor. You are not. He is the Lord of the manor. And as you bow to Jesus Christ, recognizing, Lord, you are the Lord of this house. I serve you. I'm an under shepherd. Then it's not about who's the big boss. You understand? It's not about who's the big boss. It's all about self-sacrifice and serving God and waiting for God to tell you where you should go, what you should do what decisions need to be made in your life. You don't have to sit there. God will pour that into your life. He'll lift you up. He'll lift up that house. He'll pour the peace of God into the house, the likes of which you could never understand. He'll make those children, the kind of children that'll be a blessing to you, and the grandchildren that'll be a blessing, all because it began with submission to God. That's the first step. Understanding this. Lord, let's let this lesson resonate in our lives. Let our lives be changed, Father, so that we can be the kind of man you want us to be. And so we have to thank our brother Paul. Look, this man got this directly from Jesus Christ. All right, let's understand this. This is theology 101 as given to Paul in the Saudi Arabian desert where he spent 18 months outcast, having moved out of Damascus because they were going to kill him, 18 months in the desert, one-on-one with Jesus Christ. How about that? How do you like that? How's that seminary for you, huh? You like that? That's that seminary. 101, Jesus Christ 101, pouring the gospel of Christ into his head. Because how could a guy who was a Pharisee's Pharisee be able to speak about Jesus like this? This is what God wants for you. In the same way he did it for Paul, He can do it for you when you rely and submit and ask the Lord to pour his spirit into your life. This is what results. And so just as this great teaching comes from Paul, even as you see this, even as you understand that God will do these great things. And so as I bring this whole season to a close and I look at you, I want you to know God loves you all so deeply, so profoundly. He is so pleased that you have got a, a, an increasing love for his word, that you've been drawn to come and study his word. He loves that. And he's got blessings on top of blessings on top of blessings. And that even though you are going to face difficulties and sufferings and in some way uh, downturns, here's the thing. He holds you in the palm of his hand. He's walking with you. And as you submit yourself to him, he will never abandon you. He will be with you. My prayer is that you will be safe this entire summer, that God will be with you. And I look forward to being with you when we return in November. Let's bow before the Lord and close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words. I thank you, Father, for for Paul. I thank you for your love. I thank you for this example. Lord, let us leave today as men who have determined to change our lives, to change our relationships, to love our wives to love our children, to adopt ourselves to the standard that you have for us in every way. Fill us, Father, with your Holy Spirit. Transform us, Lord, so that we can be closer to you. Protect our men this season, Lord. Be with them wherever they are and bring them back safely, Lord, to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I bless you.